And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, March 24th. Stephen Nesbitt here filling in for DVR, who will be back in your podcast feed soon. And I'm joined, as always, uh, by Keith Law in between draft scouting trips. Keith, how are you doing? I'm good. Suffering from some seasonal allergies. Apparently in North Carolina, everything's blooming right now, but it's not in Delaware. So that was fun. Nice way to find out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I hit. I got off the plane in Raleigh. And I think I walked outside and it was like, bam! And all of a sudden I was allergic to air. Just hit by a wall, hit by a wall. So yeah. we're going to get into some, uh, some draft prospects talk today. Now that we've got a large enough sample of these college uh, arms, college bats, to get a decent read on the, on the top guys, what is a pretty fascinating class. And, and later in the show we'll get to some other potential breakout candidates at the major league level and young players prepping to... I guess potentially win an opening day roster spot just a, a week from now. So let's get this rolling here, Keith. With the with the draft class, we're just under four months. It's uh, you can you can see the finish line here, right? Uh, how many mock drafts until then? Um, uh, yeah, probably God three or four. I won't do one until much later in the spring. I'd say May or so. It's funny. I just was chatting with a national guy last night, um, whose team picks in the I'll just say in the top half. It was like, well, you know, essentially it was, we're going to get someone good, but we have no idea who's getting to us. I mean, that's the problem with, that I find with doing mock drafts too early is that it, there's just way too much. Even the teams at the top haven't decided. There's way too much uncertainty. But I will say, um, I think this is the best draft class in a decade. Um, it is really, it's very strong on the college side. The high school position player side looks pretty good. We'll see about the high school pitchers. I'm obviously not a huge fan of them just in the first round. Like, I, I recognize their prospects, but they carry a lot of risk. Um, God, we just, Andrew Painter is hurt now, and Jackson Job is hurt now. And so, um, but the high school pitching class seems as good as is typical. And when you boost that with a strong college class overall, I'd say, which I think is a lot because three years ago, right, we had the pandemic shortened draft and a lot of these kids never played at all the entire spring or barely played and so ended up going to college and so now we're reaping the benefits of a of having a you know a, a terrible draft year in 2020 so it's turned out to be yeah really fun it's exciting i i'm gonna have plenty to do i've already seen a bunch of top guys and um i'm getting on a plane again tomorrow and then again on monday and i got a lot of guys left to see which is fun like i'd much rather have this problem too many guys to see and not enough weekends than the reverse which is uh, i don't know i don't want to go anywhere who am i going to see next friday which was last year last year was like not to complain about my job but like there weren't enough friday night starters to potentially go see so this is much better the conversation at the top of the draft hasn't necessarily changed but i think it's gotten more interesting uh you had ranked one and two uh just a couple weeks ago white langford outfielder from Florida, uh, and Dylan Cruz, outfielder from LSU. Langford has been hurt. Uh, nothing that should be uh, long-term, but uh, hit a foul ball off himself, had surgery. Sense. Not in a baseball yeah. sense. Um, I'm hoping he can still have kids someday. <laughs> he can read between the lines on that injury. Um, yep. So he is the more tooled-up guy, probably can stay in center field, whereas Cruz um, is going to end up being a corner guy, but they're both putting up absurd numbers so far this season. I mean, <laughs> Cruz, I think it's a five, five fifteen uh, batting average, six almost a yeah six fifty six on base percentage. That'll play. Um, yeah. So so when you look at one two, assuming Langford is back and and healthy, and there is no significant injury for for either of them, where where do you sit right now on the the one two conversation and, and the pros and cons? So. 
I, I think I wrote, like, you could kind of go either way. And I leaned towards Langford. He looked better in the first couple of weeks. Scouts are coming back to me saying this is this is the better prospect. There's more upside. He doesn't play center for Florida, but he should be able to play center. He's a plus-plus runner, at least underway. Um, but they have a freshman, Robertson. I think he's a freshman. I just saw them. Um, who can really play center. And I think that's kind of the main reason why Langford has been playing a corner this year. And, and there's some risk there, right? That you haven't actually seen him do it in center. Whereas Cruz projects to move to a corner, but he does play center now. So you can at least, you have that possibility in front of you and it's easier to evaluate, right? That will be a question in draft rooms, the top couple, you know, he's going, both these guys going in the top two, three picks where it'll be like, well, we haven't really seen him play center. And what if he, what if we draft him on the basis that he will be able to move to center and he can't do it. That happened with Corey Ray. That happened with Derek Fisher. These guys never did figure out center field. Turns out neither guy was even very good in left field when they got in a pro ball. Um, so, you know, for me, I would rather roll the dice a little bit on the greater upside of the better athlete and the guy with, I think, the better long-term chance to stay in the middle. But both can hit, both have power, both have really good plate discipline, and both play in the SEC. So while their pre you know, early season competition hasn't been great, and this is particularly true for Cruz, well, you know, what we'll see the rest of the way, Cruz is just, it's going to be good pitching pretty much every week and the whole rest yeah. of the season. And I wonder if that hurts Langford a little bit and that he's going to miss a couple of weeks at least and thus miss opportunities for scouts to see him against good quality arms because the SEC, I mean, it's always the best conference, but it's really good this year. Right. Another year where I, I suppose the benefit of having a later draft is you can see these guys the whole way through. Uh, so an injury, yes. an injury that, that takes Langford up for a few weeks won't necessarily do huge damage to his draft, draft stock, which, stock, which obviously is very, very high. If, yep. If you're the Pirates sitting there at 1-1, and let's imagine a scenario where they want the, the best guy on their board instead of somebody that's going to mm-hmm. save some money for them, they are not a team that is loaded with outfield prospects. Um, your top 20 for them this spring, uh, Matt Gorski, number 17, was your only one in the top 20. Uh, if I'm looking at their current roster... Right? Yeah. Holy they, cow. And I just they, saw him last week, and I was... Ugh. I mean, whatever, he's 17th. Like, not like you're banking on him. He's super... Tool- You've probably seen him at some point. He's super, yeah. super tooled up. But the, the, the field ahead is just... It just hasn't happened. And I'm not shocked, but still, like, it's also a little tantalizing, too. You look at this guy. He's such a good athlete. It's big power. He can run, et cetera. It's like, man, he is just not going to hit, is he? And when you're, when you're drafting in 2023, you're not necessarily drafting based on the need of when you expect this guy to get to right. the majors. You'll, you'll figure it out. But they are mm-hmm. a team that's had to, you know, Juwan Bay maybe at center fielder at some point. Brian Reynolds, is he going to stay? O'Neal Cruz, will he move to a corner? I don't know really what their future is. When you look at what they have going on, would that um, tip you in either direction on on whether long-term it would make more sense for them to go with uh, Langford or Cruz? I don't think so. I think they should. Um, it's best player available, and the best player available is going to be one of those two outfielders. Like I don't think there are some good college pitchers this year. I, I, we may talk about them in a minute. I don't think any of those guys is in the 1-1 conversation. If they chose to go with a high school player, and there are three who were in my top 10 who would not be outrageous pick one. I think they would be, it would be a money saver. And the pirates did do that two years ago with Henry Davis, yep. who was second on my board. Marcelo Mayer was first on my board. And I think first kind of the consensus or closest thing we had to a consensus one, one, but they saved like $2 million taking Davis and then ended up really doing great things with that savings later on in the draft. Um, you know, they could take one of those guys, but I really think the, the best option for them is going to be to take Langford or Cruz, and either one of them is probably the right choice. It should be wherever they feel better. Um, I would say if, if I'm in that draft room, and not that they need me, they've, I think they've done a very good job the last couple of years, but the main consideration should be who do we feel is going to have the most impact, especially with the bat, because that's just been such a huge issue for this organization for, for like 10 years now. I mean, who's the last real impact hitter with some, I mean, like with some thump that this organization has developed, drafted or signed and developed? Because Reynolds wasn't there, or theirs originally. Neither and, was O'Neill Cruz. I mean, it, yeah. No, that's true, actually. Right. I, can't, I always forget that. But yes, you're correct. And I mean, he hasn't even done it yet. Like, I think he will right. be, certainly. But I mean, who was the last guy, right? It's been a long time. And I think a lot of it was player development, especially under the previous regime. There was such an emphasis on contact that a lot of their guys who should have 
impacted the ball more, ended up not doing so. And we're still waiting for like a Cabrian Hayes to at least get into more power. I don't think he's elite power, but I always thought he'd hit for more power. Kevin Newman's a guy I believed in quite a bit as a prospect. He got to the big leagues and it was just the, the, the like little soft, yeah. con- like don't strike out, don't strike out, don't strike out. No, no, that's not, at some point you got to let it unleash it a little bit. And they're, I thought it was system wide that they weren't doing that. And it has left them in a situation where it's good for them that we're talking about two guys who do project to impact the ball. And I would actually say if I were in the Pirates organization, I might tilt a little bit more towards who do you, who's bat do you believe in more and maybe weight the position and speed yeah. a little bit less um, just because that's been, they've had such a hard time finding thump for the middle of the lineup. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're right. The, picking someone, uh, an impact bat there is, I mean, if you consider Starling Marte an impact bat, I mean, he's more speed plus good contact that's that's worked had, had some power over the years that might be it i mean the gregory polanco's of the world didn't pan out it is a long time you're going back to before that i mean it's it's pedro alvarez for a while and mccutcheon and, and neil walker so it's uh it's been a problem and getting a a, a bat at the top of the line or top of the draft just like they've done these last couple um of drafts i mean there there's a reason that they're targeting these guys um in the first round so moving on to 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 a handful of these um, these college arms that you mentioned, you had five guys in the top 13 when you ranked uh, your first uh, first go at this top 30. Uh, and it's gotten interesting. Chase Dolander was was the top guy you had rated, followed by Paul Skeens. Um, then I, you had a couple guys bunched in um, at the 10 to 13 range, Hurston Waldrop, uh, Rhett Lauder, and, and Will Sanders. Skeens is on fire. Uh, he's having an unbelievable first five starts. Um, and Dolander has been less um, less dominant, certainly, as we saw last year. Walk me through what you're thinking today on, on where those guys land. Skeens, I mean, what, what he's done um, after the transfer is, is pretty special. Yeah, and he's you're right. I mean, he's the... He's the top college arm right now, right? Yeah. And if the Pirates were, I don't really don't think they will, and I'm not necessarily saying they should, but if they wanted to consider an arm at 1-1, that's the guy. Um, he has absolutely established himself as the best college pitcher right now, and Dollander has dropped to the point where he might be behind. He's certainly behind Waldrop. He may be behind Louder at this point, and then Sanders has also not been great. I saw Sanders, actually. I've seen Sanders and Waldrop of that group so far. Um, I'll see louder this weekend. Um, Dollander, I've actually just been kicking the can down the road because he's he hasn't been good at all. Yeah. So for folks who don't know, Dollander last year, he was the Saturday night guy for Tennessee, but people were already saying this is a potential 1-1 guy for next year because it was velocity, it was strikes, and it was a plus-plus slider. Like an absolute wipe, especially if you got him on his best nights last year. He had a start against, I think it was Mississippi late in the season where it was just like, yeah, that's the type of guy who goes in the top two or three picks. That's what they look like. And he's had five starts this year, and the slider hasn't been there. Um, I was just talking to a guy the other day who had seen not Dollinger's most recent start, but the one before that. He said he flashed a couple plus, but the majority were just like slightly below average. And to me, it's like, was he hurt? Like, you don't just lose a pitch like that um, without some underlying explanation. So it's really concerning. I don't know how, if you didn't have history with Dollinger, how do you take that guy, say, in the top 10, when the, the single pitch that was his best pitch is simply not there and that was even true before he had an outing against missouri which doesn't really have a great lineup by sec standards and they had five runs tagged him for five runs he only threw 43 pitches he got a single swing and miss and it was actually on the fastball not even on the slider at that point and i mean to me i just don't know i really don't know what you do with him and that certainly drops him down some of these other guys who've posted i mean waldrop hasn't been elite but he has shown up he has thrown he's missing bats it's not the command isn't really where you want it to be he's at florida just to be clear rhett louder is at wake forest will sanders is at south carolina and i think it's creating some opportunities for other guys potentially to creep up and that's generally what happens we get into conference play too it's true for hitters and pitchers and now we start to see all right these hot starts for some of these guys how much of this is real how much of this is is actually going to carry over to sec competition or acc competition i would even say that's true for for you know Big 12 and the Pac-10 are not, or Pac-12, whatever, however many schools they have. They're not what they were <laughs> necessarily. They're not great. They're not up to the caliber of these other conferences. But still, like, you're facing better competition. I saw Will Sanders 
against Bethune-Cookman. And I, I mean, those poor kids, like, I don't think a lot of those Bethune kids had seen 95 before. And, you know, it's, it's just not, I mean, I hope the school got some money for going to play there because it was 20 to three and ended on a mercy rule, which I've never seen a college game end on that before. I will say there was one kid, I, I apologize for not remembering his name, but once the game was out of hand, one of the Bethune hitters clearly was just like, I'm swinging hard at a fastball and he homered. I'm like, that's awesome, right? Someday <laughs> he will be like, I homered off this guy who got to the big leagues. And he was like, Try not to over celebrate, right? Because they were down by 10 plus runs at that point. But still, you could tell, like, inside, there was a little pride. It's like, all right, I, I did a thing. And his teammates, like, it was appropriate, right? It was very right. Like, you can celebrate that. We all recognize that this was pretty cool for you. But that's, you know, to me, an extreme example of what happens early in these springs. Like, not every school plays a strong. Uh, plays a strong slate. The vast majority of these bigger schools don't play good non-conference competition. So it's once we turn the calendar into conference play by the fifth weekend, then you can start to look at weekly performance just a little differently. It's, it's not everything, but it certainly matters a lot more to me what these both position players and pitchers do from here on out. Some of the conversation around Paul Skeens, who uh, certainly looks the part on the mound, six, 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 six foot guy. Um, mm-hmm. Is coming over from Air Force, he was a two-way player who excelled at both and probably could be a top, what, five-round guy, either, either mm-hmm. one. And I think, just my personal opinion, I think that LSU's done right by him to have him only pitch so far, unless I'm mistaken. I don't think I he's taken. I would say so. And at yeah. bat, it probably certainly is. about $2 million. <laughs> it, has, it has worked out really nicely. But as fans, I think, because we have discovered Shohei Otani and don't want to accept that he's a unicorn, Think just like imagine the value that could be there if a, if a guy, uh, sure, let's let him focus on pitching, but once every few days, maybe in the minors, let him hit. Like, what is a likelihood? Not necessarily schemes, but like, are are we have not seen it work with people other than Otani to a to a super uh, successful level? What are the odds that a team would actually be willing to to let a guy come into a first round pitcher come in into the to pro ball and start doing two-way stuff again? Or is it just not worth it at this point and you can add it later on if you really believe it's there? I think we've seen a couple of examples. I feel like Bubba Chandler's maybe the biggest yeah. one like in terms of prospect status where a team has allowed him to do both. But it's because I'm reading between the lines a little bit on, on what Pirates people are saying and also what I think of the player. He's a pitcher. He's going to end up a pitcher. And he wants to keep hitting. Yeah, fine. There's not really any big harm in that. The other way around entails so much more risk, right? Because then the guy gets hurt. If you have a two-way prospect who you really believe is a much more better prospect as a hitter, and you let him continue to pitch, and he gets hurt pitching, as happens, even to guys with like good deliveries, et cetera, then you're, you're an idiot, right? I mean, the perception will be, how could you let this happen, right? Why did you? We never thought he was going to be a pitcher. That, I think, is going to hold a lot of guys back. Um, there's a guy in this year's draft in Northern Virginia, high school kid, Bryce Eldridge, who is one of those, a little bit like Chandler, might be a first rounder either way. And we'll see. Maybe some team just takes him and says he's a pitcher and we're going to let him pitch. But I have a feeling that could be one of those where if a team thinks he's a pitcher, they'll let him continue to hit. If a team thinks he's a position player, it'll be, we're just taking you as a position player, not uh, not risking that. Um funny story about him. So I get a text from my sister last night who lives in Virginia and she sends me a photo of a screenshot of Eldridge's page on the perfect game website. And she goes, have you ever heard of this guy? And I'm like, yes, (laughs) why? And my nephew's friend's older brother, uh, played his, he's on plays high school baseball player played Eldridge, Eldridge's team. And the other mom was saying, oh, yeah, there were a whole bunch of scouts there. And obviously my sister knows enough to like, all right, I can figure out who this might be. And I was like, yeah, I need. And I think there was also like, when are you coming to see him? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I will be coming to see. I will be coming to visit. Um, he is the best high school player in Virginia. He's probably the best high school player in the maybe in the mid-Atlantic this year. Um, and so it's a dry, It's very drivable for me. But, yeah, that was one of those like, oh, worlds are slightly colliding here. 
Um, also, it's very good for me to hear there were a lot of scouts there. It's like, that's where I need to go. When I yeah. show up and there's no scouts in the ballpark, I get very, very nervous. Like, oh my God, what did I do? Is he not playing? Does he, is he terrible? Is everyone hanging out without me somewhere else? So that was, yes, that's very reassuring to know that, yep, okay, I got the right guy on my list. Rounding out the, the college um, talk here is if you had to pick from one of these, I would say maybe top three, um, infield prospects uh, coming out of college this year, who do you see as the safer bet between Jacob Gonzalez, Braden Taylor, and I think I would throw in Jacob Wilson maybe as the number three? I could be missing mm-hmm. someone there. Who, no, I who, think you're right. Who do you think is the safest bet uh, there to be an above average major league regular? That's a great question. Um, I think if you asked 20 scouts, you'd get a pretty close, you'd probably pretty close to even breakdown across the three. Um, If we're talking safest bet to be an above average big leaguer, I'd probably lean towards Taylor. I think he can really hit. I think he's got work to do defensively. Um, But I feel the best about not just his ability to put the bat on the ball, because that's Wilson. Wilson absolutely has the best for that. I mean, he struck out seven times all last spring. And I know it's Grand Canyon. They didn't face the greatest competition, but still, like, nobody strikes out that infrequently. Um, But Taylor's going to hit the ball. He already is hitting the ball hard enough that it's going to carry over, and it's not just going to be, you know, empty contact. And bring up Kevin Newman again, right? You don't want that. We don't want that. We have better data now, too, to make sure we don't overrate the guys with just strong contact ability but who don't impact the ball. And so Wilson has the best contact rate of the three. If you were just talking about who's the best chance to simply get to the big leagues and be anything at all, anything better than replacement, that's Gonzalez. Gonzalez is the guy who goes in the top five or six picks to some team that's like, we want certainty. We absolutely cannot miss on this particular pick for whatever reason, lots of reasons why that may be tr- might be true. And to me, that's Gonzalez, where it's it's very steady. I don't think there's a ton of upside. The odds of him becoming an all-star are not that great, but the odds of him being less than an average or fringe average regular are also not that great. It could be, I think most people would be very, very surprised if Gonzalez, barring injury, didn't get there and have a career. Whereas with Wilson, I could see questions about the impact um, because it is such a contact-focused approach. And with Taylor, there are other questions. You know, he swings and misses a little bit more, and I don't know for sure that he stays at third base. So there's other questions, but he's got some more upside. So to your point about above average regular or better, I think I'd still go with Taylor acknowledging the risk. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Moving on to some potential breakout candidates uh, at the major league level. Uh, Keith, you just wrote about this. The other day, I encourage everyone to go check out that list. Uh, our last show, we, we, we mentioned, uh, and we, I think we cursed Andrew Painter and Kate Cavalli, so we're going to operate with caution today. We've had to tiptoe. Everyone, stop listening. Just stop. Taking guys off the list. So with that disclaimer said, you started with Brian Bayo, who I see a lot of Red Sox living over here in the Boston area, and he's a guy who... The numbers just kind of surprised me last year. When I look at the full body of work, I just saw better than what they told me. And it's hard to put up an ERA that's creeping toward five when you only allow one homer in 57 innings. Um, but I guess that can happen when you're walking guys that they get like a 4.2 walks per nine and have a 404 BAPIP. Uh, I guess that can happen, right? Yeah, yes. And I am going to say with some degree of confidence, he won't allow a 404 BABIP this year. I'm going to just go way out on a limb here 
and say, I think that's probably not going to happen. And I gave credit in a column. I'll give credit here too. I had Justin Havens on my podcast back in January. He and I worked together for a long time at ESPN. And he also mentioned Bayo as one of his two big breakout candidates for this year. And I absolutely agree with him. I think there's all the ingredients there potentially for Bayo to step forward and be a league average starter, if not better. It's stuff. I think there's way better command and control than what we saw last year. And I try not to read too much into what a guy does in his first season or half season, as the case was with Bayo, um, for him to, you know, yeah, he walked a few more guys, but that I don't think that's as predictive as like his whole minor league career, where he certainly was not that kind of guy, never projected to be a particularly erratic control guy. And I think there's multiple weapons there for him to to miss bats. And I think that's going to be the thing that carries him. I think his bad bit will come down, but also he's just not going to, I think, allow as many balls in play on a rate basis going forward. And, you know, I don't love predicting breakouts for pitchers because they'll really break your heart, right? You put a breakout guy on your list and then he gets hurt next week and he's out for the year. So, but he was one of, I think, two on the whole list. Was like, no, I see all the indicators here for him to take a pretty big step forward. And, you know, not for nothing, the Red Sox need it. Who was the last homegrown starting pitcher they developed? It's It's been a minute since they had a, a guy who was one of their own, right? Drafted or signed and developed all the way to the big leagues, who was even a league average starter. You know, Clay Buckholtz, maybe. That's we're going that's back. a long time to go. <laughs> yeah, right? That's not great. And and a system that does not have a lot of future starters in it, too. So, you know, it's not necessarily fair to Bayo, but they, they are counting on him to become a quality starter so that they, they another guy, one guy at least to anchor the rotation who they can try to build around by going externally. You included two Tigers, uh, Riley Green and Matt Vierling, and also mentioned Spencer Torkelson as a possibility for that list. It's a, it is a, a wild ride looking at the Tigers' uh, projected lineup here on, on roster resource on Fangraphs. It is a, a, a lineup that tells me, oh, that's, it could be an interesting team in 2025 and maybe competing in 2026. And then you see Javi Baez as the one guy just sticking out like a sore thumb. What was that all about? Um, that's what happens when you when you try to jump out of a rebuild too soon and then... Um, then start over with a new front office and decide to to keep this train uh, started over again. So anyway, Riley Green, I think I love for this year. I mean, he, he showed some really um, a really good bat, good speed, good defense. I mean, I, I just like his future a lot. And you made a really good point, I think, in this piece, saying his uh, his elevated um, strike. I don't remember what the stat was. He had an elevated strike rate, but it was more called strikes than it was swing and miss, which yeah. is a much more correctable problem. Oh, yeah. And that's right. That's the thing we look for if you're delving just into pitch data for hitters, too. Like, okay, is he swinging and missing? And then what is he swinging and missing at? Or where is he swinging and missing? And, and how much of a concern is that, right? Guys who are swinging and missing at fastballs in the zone. Yeah, that's pretty bad, actually. I'll, I'll never forget seeing Michael Choice before we even had that data, but seeing him in college, I mean, the guy swinging and missing at fastball strikes. I think that's bad. And I wasn't even that sure at the time, right? Because it was not something that was even discussed as much. We were just at the point where scouts were starting to try to record this stuff. But, you know, in Green's case, it's not swinging and missing. Uh, and at, really at anything, not at, at, at rates that are at all um, incompatible with him becoming a star. It's, it's a lot of just deciding to swing, deciding to swing a bit more. And that is absolutely correctable. It's also something I think guys really do naturally get better with experience. And this is a guy who moved very quickly through the minors, right? When you consider any of these guys, especially if I feel like high school guys who were drafted in 18 or 19 and then lost 20, right? He has less experience or had less minor league experience getting to the big leagues than historically most guys um, who got to the majors at his age did. And so... I also feel like for that entire class, um, Bobby Witt was in that draft class. C.J. Abrams was in that draft class. Don't be surprised at all if those guys take bigger leaps in the big leagues than you might have expected for players their ages and pedigrees because they typically that stuff would have happened in the minors before we even got to see them in the majors. And I feel like Green is the one where um, I like all three of those guys long term. But Green was the one I looked at and said, I see the most potential for him to actually take that step forward this year. And I'm glad you mentioned Torkelson. I mean, one, one reason I didn't put Torkelson on the main list was I would have had three Tigers in 11 names. And it's, people would be like, are you a Tigers fan? Which is something <laughs> I've pretty much never been accused of in my life. But, you know, Torkelson, Mike Petriello tweeted something. Torkelson's been hitting the ball as hard as just about anybody this spring. And 
we already knew he could do that. That wasn't the main issue last year, but I just wanted to mention him in the column and here too, like, don't give up on this guy, right? He was the first pick for a reason. And I do still think he's going to be a good big leaguer. But I just feel like Green has a better chance to take a step forward and be a star. And Veerling to me is a guy who has a chance for to go from basically replacement level to solid regular. And I don't think there's a whole lot standing in his way from doing that. And they're going to be really interesting to watch. I wish that they had some healthy pitching, but I will take, you know, and maybe Tigers fans hopefully feel the same way. If the lineup takes a nice step forward this year from two or even all three of those guys really progressing, that's good. They'll be the most interesting Tigers team to watch in several years now. Yeah, I mean, in your defense, when <laughs> when a, when a lineup underperforms by a mile at almost every single guy up and down the roster, it's there's a lot of breakout <laughs> candidates next year. <laughs> a lot this of guys true. who can bounce back. <laughs> this is true. Well, at least they're not playing a bunch of like thirty year old, you know, has been yeah. fill in guys. I mean, nothing. No offense to those guys, but fans aren't going to get excited as opposed to like, hey, Riley Green becomes a you know an all star this year. Fans are into that and saying, great, we got this guy for the next five-plus years, potentially. Um, that's a player to sort of get attached to a little bit and get excited. All right, that's the first real building block in our lineup going forward. And I, and I would not surprise me if two or all three of those guys were. And they're, they're going to end up in a, in a great situation, too, because I think Parker Meadows, who they just sent down earlier this week, I'm on that. And, yeah. after, and that's somebody who was very bearish on Meadows' Um, when they drafted him his first couple of years, I saw him in fall league last year and the big hitch he had in his swing, they'd really cleared up. And then he was really, really good this spring, even against when he, the limited chances he got to face better pitching. He's got to carry it forward into the regular season when the performance actually means something. But I am quite optimistic. We're going to see Meadows in the big leagues uh, before the midpoint and that I think he'll make a real difference for them. When I look at the Phillies and their lineup, I see they have almost all their bases covered. Yet when I look at third base, I just feel like there's something lacking. And Alec Bohm, he hasn't played up to his potential, and that's true. Um, but I see a guy who's a you know 275 hitter with you know mediocre OBP and maybe average at best pop. So talk me into talk me into why Alec Bohm is uh, a good breakout candidate for this year. Um, this guy should be uh, given the swing, given the contact quality. Um, and given the swing decisions, he's never going to be a great OBP guy, I don't think. Um, and there are various reasons for for that, um, not the least of which is the Phillies hadn't been haven't been very good at developing that for quite some time now. But I think Baum is going to hit for it, the contact quality um, is going to come through in higher average, more hits on the balls he is hitting into play and some more over-the-fence power. And I think that's actually been coming for a little while. <clears throat> I really wish he didn't have to play third base. I do wonder if that's a situation <laughs> where if he just wasn't playing third, right, would this just not be an issue anymore? Like I had Andrew Vaughn on that list because maybe just not playing the outfield, which you are not capable of playing. Sorry, Andrew, really like your bat. Saw you in college, never thought outfield was going to work. Like, dude, just go stand at first base and just hit. And, you know, the, the Phillies have kind of boxed themselves into a little bit of a corner. They have lots of guys who are playing positions they kind of can't really play defensively so they don't have the flexibility to move guys like they might otherwise need to but i do um and so bombs if bomb does break out as i sort of predicted here it may not show up as much in the war because his defensive number is going to drag him down but i think you're going to see a boost to the batting average and to the power whether that's a lot more doubles or just a bunch more balls over the fence like i think that'll carry forward but i i, I also concede the point right? he's not going to be a high obp guy and obviously his overall numbers are not going to look great once you factor in the def defense because i just don't think he's ever going to be more than like a 45 defender at third if i'm the phillies right now and that's what i'm getting defensively i'll live with that because they've pretty clearly decided we don't <laughs> really care if we catch the ball right? they're living they're living with that all over the field Absolutely. There's, there's, I mean, it could not be any more clearly a strategy. We are just going, we're going to pitch and we're going to hit dingers. You're right. There is a, there is a, a fit for that sort of profile in this lineup. It's got so many sluggers and it's now got Trey Turner, who is going to bat 300 as well with a better OBP certainly and speed. And he does a lot of things. I love the fit of Trey Turner on that, and that team. And I don't have to pay the money for those years. So it's fine. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and if Bohm can be a 290, 295 hitter, uh, and if he gets closer to 
15, you know, 20 homers. Like you're right. I, I can see that a lot. And, and the defense is for the birds, as they say. So um, I do like that. Let's jump on one last here. I like that you included uh Caber Ruiz with the nationals. He's this dude's going to give you like the lowest strikeout rate in the majors. That's you can kind of pencil him in for, for best five there. And I just think there's a lot more in this bat and he just locked up a contract extension. He's going to be there for a long time. Um, this is a team that doesn't have a ton of uh, proven talent and but there are a lot of things to watch for and i think ruiz is is at the top of that list yeah i i have always thought there was going to be power there when he caught up age wise or he's always really young for where he played i saw him first time he was might have been 19 and saw him homer twice in a minor league spring training game but i was like oh that's in there right don't don't forget that that potential is in there in the swing he was clear and actually thought he was plenty strong I wonder if it's a little bit like we were talking about guys like Jack Wilson, guys like Kevin Newman too, or in the pirate system in general. It's, has this always just been such a contact approach? Like It's okay to strike out a little bit if that's balanced out by putting more balls in seats. He's getting older. He's getting to the point now where we're expecting his power to really come through in games too. And I, I mean, I just try to be mindful too of what we know from baseball history of when guys have typically reached their peak power level they don't all do it right away. Plenty of guys do, right? They're, but they're not all Julio Rodriguez. Somebody actually, one of my readers made this comment in the comments under the breakouts piece where somebody was slagging Riley Green. He's never going to be as good as Julio Rodriguez. Hey, he may never be as good as Julio Rodriguez. Julio's pretty special. But at the same time, they don't all mature at exactly the same rate. And we've been spoiled by so many players getting to the big leagues at 19-20 becoming stars right away. Still lots of room for players to get there three, four years later and become stars. And that's, you know, we'd all like them to do it faster, but these are humans doing a very, very difficult job. And I think it's not fair to tag someone as a disappointment or to drastically lower your expectations just because maybe his first year in the big leagues wasn't quite up to pre-big leagues expectations. Rounding out this conversation, I wanted to hit on a few guys who – are still in the conversation, I think, for opening day roster spots um, and some really interesting players, but we're in the season of, what is it, asset management or roster reten- <laughs> player retention. Teams are doing oh God. jumping through hoops to try to keep the the minor league invite or the uh, all the spring training invite guys around. So just want to get your thoughts on a couple of these guys, sort of the headliners. Uh, Brett Beatty has given the Mets a difficult decision to have, they to make. They... Uh, for a while, I guess it's been Eduardo Escobar that's been penciled in at third base. This guy seems like he's doing all the right things, and he got a taste of the majors last year and uh, would expect a step forward as well. Yeah, and I think the Mets, they're in this situation, right? This team's already pretty good. They can integrate a guy like Beatty um, now, and even if he struggles, which I don't really forecast, this guy already showed he can hit the ball really hard. He's a big, strong kid with really good feel to hit. The biggest question on him has just been consistently getting the ball in the air. Um, and I know they've worked with him on this, and we've seen so we saw some improvements last year, particularly in the minors. I'm confident it'll get there this year. But you're, if you're in their situation, one, the rest of the team is so good, you can afford to give him some time to develop in the majors. And two, they just sent Francisco Alvarez down the other day. I'm sure the intent is to get him to the majors at some point this season. And so I do believe in this idea of, you know, especially when you're trying to contend, right? Integrating, integrating sort of one guy at a time. Let Beatty get a month or so in the big leagues. You let him get his, you know, his, his feet under him, and hopefully you start to see adjustments at that point. Then you can bring up the next guy and bring up the next guy so that you are not creating a situation, especially when you are the Mets and it's all eyes on you on, your, on the one-loss record, that hopefully you rack up some wins too early as Beatty gets integrated, and then you can bring up the next guy and bring up the next guy as opposed to you know, trying to play two, three rookies or, or very young guys at the same time. You're trying to develop them. At the same time, you're also trying to, to win. And then suddenly you end up in this – you end up in a situation where you might be making decisions based strictly on winning and losing right now. And you, I don't want to see that. Oh, Beatty has a tough first three weeks of the season. Oh, my God, we got to change something. Give Escobar the job, send Beatty back down. I don't think the Mets are going to do that. But I think the chances of that increase if you're trying to bring in too many guys at the same time. Oscar Colas seems to have the inside track on the White Sox right field job. The competition, I think, is probably Gavin Sheets, uh, number one. Um, he's a guy we don't know quite as much because he came over from Cuba. 
Um, haven't had as much experience watching him. What sort of upside do you see for Colas? I think long term, he might get to like a 55, an above average regular. I don't think he's got a chance to be a star. Um, I do have questions, especially about some of the breaking ball recognition, off-speed recognition in general, really. And I think that's going to hold down his contact rate and thus hold down some of his other numbers. But I also think there's a lot of things he can do right now. He's a touch older than most of the other prospects on my uh, on my rankings, and I could very much see him. And and as and that's not a criticism; it's just because he's a Cuban defector and when he came over, when he signed. But I do think he is going to end up being. Um, being able to make an impact for them this year. I would much rather give him a chance than play Gavin Sheets out there, especially because I don't think Gavin Sheets is very good defensively. And I think Colas in an outfield corner, especially will be able to provide some defensive value. And if that's what he is, is a guy who plays good defense in a corner and whacks fastballs. That's a decent path to being an average big league regular. And he's going to swing and miss some, you know, and he's not Luis Robert. I get it. I know there was a lot of hope. Oh, it's another Cuban outfielder. Maybe we've got the same kind of upside. They're not the same human. They're not the same type of player. But I think Colas can help this team right now. And it's fortunate. They, he's arriving at exactly the point where they need him, too. In Yankees camp, they have a number of shortstop options, but they seem to be clearing the way to, at some point in the nearest future, give the job to Anthony Volpe. He's having a great spring. Oswald Peraza is there. Oswaldo Cabrera is there. They appear to be moving um, IKF, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, to more of a super utility role. Volpe, opening day lineup, is that where you you see him as part of that group, or is he probably going to be in a sort of second wave uh, of the season? Um, I would guess, I don't know what the Yankees are thinking specifically, but I would guess, because they also have Peraza, who is a better defensive shortstop than Volpe. And I would like to see Volpe go to AAA for just a couple of weeks um, and because he had, had very little time there at the end of last year and let Peraza play short in the big leagues so they can get further a further evaluation of him and then also decide what do they want to do with both of these guys long-term. They are both shortstops. They're both good enough, in my opinion. I saw a lot of them last year just by virtue of where I live. Both are good enough to play shortstop in the big leagues. Do you want to keep Peraza short because he is the better defender of the two? and move Volpe to another position, or do you decide Volpe is so valuable as a potential shortstop that we will take, you know, maybe a half grade less of defense. Maybe it's more like a full grade. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's less defense, but for that much more overall value to me, if you move Volpe to second base, I have zero question. He, he can play it and will play it extremely well, probably immediately. But if you leave him at short, you've got a chance for a superstar um, because of the mm-hmm. positional value and because he does so much with the. I mean, he's such an impressive player. The more I watched him, the more I realized, too, it is. Yeah, it's going to show up in the performance. Obviously, he can really run. He's got some power. He's going to hit for average. He's got a really good idea at the plate. This guy is a really advanced player for his age, though. That is your classic kind of high IQ player where his instincts on both sides of the ball are so good. I think the comment, I don't know where I wrote this exactly. He was that player where you watch the pitch, you watch the batter, and then you look and Volpe's already in position. He's just constantly there. I saw him try to start a double play last year for double A Somerset where he was too fast for his own second baseman. The ball got to him and he just picked it up, turned and threw because that's what you do. And the second baseman wasn't even there. His The second baseman's first step wasn't good enough to keep up with Volpe. And it was an error, and it ended up costing them a run, et cetera. And I'm like, you know what? I'm okay with that error. I'm completely fine with that because Volpe is playing at major league speed right now. And the second baseman just wasn't, right? He wasn't that good of a player. Wasn't that it wasn't as instinctive as Volpe was. And I'm like, yep, I'm fine with this. He is – Volpe is going to be the kid who makes really quick – significant adjustments once he gets to the big leagues that's also an argument not to rush him like i'm fine with sending a guy like that down for a couple weeks to start the season because they have other options too it's not like they're going to play uh, you know nothing at short they're not it's not the orioles playing jorge mateo right they have peraza who they can give an opportunity to while they let volpe play a couple more weeks and they you know evaluate peraza while Volpe gets to go down. And if he destroys AAA for a couple of weeks, great, call him up. And then, then you figure that out. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. With Jose Altuve out with a broken thumb, the Astros return probably do either Marisa Dubon or David Hensley. Hensley is the more unknown uh, guy here. He's a big middle infielder, 6'6". Six six. Um and he has outplayed Dubon this spring, and it would be interesting to see him get the regular run in this sort of audition period. Is he someone you see as anything more than a, a fringe major leaguer type moving forward? Could he be part of their future? Uh, he could be. I don't know where. He's a pretty good player, actually. You yeah. know, just a very, very, like, a pretty late bloomer, right? I was actually looking, I had to look, 26th round. They don't even draft that long anymore. Um, and didn't reach the majors until 26th. Um, God, I think he was a senior sign actually looking at this, right? He was 22 in his draft year. So, you know, probably just a money saver, but he came out of the pandemic a pretty different guy and has continued to improve each year. And he's a better athlete. Um, It's funny. I remember talking to a pro scout this winter for my prospect rankings and he was pushing Hensley a little bit. He's like, I know that he doesn't, um, you know, he's an older guy. He didn't realize that Hensley was in the big leagues a little too much. So he he no longer qualifies. He was like, that guy might be a regular at some point. And you're right. He is really big for an infielder. 6'6 is pretty exceptional by historical standards. But he can hit. I think there's enough bat there that he could end up. Maybe he's not a regular for the Astros once Altuve returns, but he could be somebody's regular. Maybe he ends up playing for a couple months, plays well enough, and they trade him to a team that does have an opening for him. And it stinks a little bit because I really liked Mauricio Dubon as a prospect. Not as a star at all, but just a really, really solid player kid with another high IQ guy for me. Great instincts, play a bunch of positions, played hard all the time. Hensley's got more bat, and that may be the thing that carries him at this point. In the post-Dansby Swanson world uh, in Atlanta, they're going for now with Orlando Arcia over Vaughn Grissom. Grissom had a really nice um, rookie season, probably showed more of the bat than a lot of people expected and, and maybe more than he can sustain long-term. Um, were you surprised by that move? I, I understand they're going to want to get him more run at shortstop. People allowed a second place base last year. Um, this, of course, could be, as we said, asset retention or whatever. Um, surprised by the move to, to send down Grissom? No. I, Grissom got to the big – Grissom was great in the big leagues last year, way better than I thought he would be given his just limited experience. He hadn't played that much before last year, just in, right, and just in terms of actual – at bats in the minors again, another pandemic casualty in that sense, and um, and not played much in the high minors at all. He really popped at the beginning of last year, where you know he wasn't even close to my top 100 going into 22. And then when I did a midseason ranking, he was I think he was on it. He might have been actually the last name I did 60. He was 59 or 60, and then he was in the big leagues a few minutes later, and then just played way better than I anticipated. And that's great, but also I worry about. The sustainability would hardly be the first guy to come up in August or September and hit 
above expectations then come back the next year maybe not hit up to that and then it sort of colors the whole your teams or your or the industry's opinion of a player i am fine letting that guy guy go back down to the minors and gain some more upper minors experience and hey same thing as with volpe too if grissom goes back down and mashes great there is no harm to me in that happening to a young and somewhat inexperienced player like that for a month right this should not be a hold him down for the whole season if he's mashing in triple a for three months then i might have some questions but you know hold him down for not hold him down let him go down there for a month six weeks something like that and if we see the performances there and the batted ball data supports it great call him up and you're and, you know then at that point you're in a great situation you have a difficult a good difficult decision to make saving the probably biggest question for last jordan walker in cardinals camp um, he is making a big push to uh, do what Grissom did last year and, and jump from double A to the majors. It would impact playing time for a lot of Cardinals, and the Cardinals have a good good, good lineup and a good um, set of position players. And so for that reason, I'm a little skeptical that they would make this uh, jump. Uh, we're talking about already a competition of Tyler O'Neill, I think Dylan Carlson for center field, Juan Yepes, Nolan Gorman for some infield time, and he would be pushing – somebody out but he is doing some pretty outrageous things and has a, a huge future what do you sort of forecast happening in the situation with jordan walker i think walker is going to go back to triple a and i'm fine with that for a lot of reasons <clears throat> you know he hasn't he got off to this huge start at the beginning of spring training and then hasn't been quite the same he also hurt his shoulder just a little bit missed a couple days since he came back from that he also hasn't been as good but also he's facing more as spring training progresses you're facing fewer and fewer guys who aren't major league players too so i don't know if this is his shoulders bothering him or if this is regression to the mean or if this is he's just facing a better caliber of pitching now but they have other guys to sort through anyway and i think that that would be the right thing for them long term both for walker to get him a little bit more experience but more importantly to sort through some of these other position players particularly corner outfield candidates to figure out who you know, essentially who's a keeper and who's not right that's now i'm a big dylan carlson fan that's the one guy i would say they've got to hang with and i even said he was a breakout candidate for me last year it didn't happen i still believe maybe this is his year i've had plenty of those guys in the past where i called for a breakout i was just off by a year i'll take partial credit for those guys i guess um but see what Lars Newtbar can do. See if Tyler O'Neill. I'm not a huge O'Neill fan. I said last year I expected him to, to regress, and he did. They've got to sort through some of those guys first, and then because once Walker comes up, I am a very strong believer. You bring a guy like that up, and this would be true for Volpe too. The idea is they come up to stay. They're coming up. We're handing you a regular job, and this is your job basically for the rest of the season. And so for the Cardinals, also a contender, um, now likely playoff team, you want to know what you're doing before you make that move and know what you're doing with other personnel and understand, okay, this job is open and it is going, it's walkers now from now through the end of the season. I'll look forward to your, your next article, which is uh, Keith Law's 2024 breakouts. Predicting them, predicting yes, right. them. It won't yeah. happen this year. Cool. cool. No, it's just cool. all the guys, all the guys who don't break out from my list this year. I just roll them over. And, Same you know, list. I'm still calling for the Ricky Weeks breakout. <laughs> what is this year? Twelve or something. It's happening. It's happening. Well, that'll do it for today. You can check out all of Keith's work at theathletic.com. Get a subscription to the Athletic at theathletic.com/slash/baseball/show. You can get a subscription for one dollar a month for the first year. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Stephen J. Nesbitt. The Athletic Baseball Show is back next week. DVR is back next week. Have a great weekend.